This is Points North on Interlochen Public Radio, a show about the land, water, and inhabitants of the Upper Great Lakes. I'm Lexi Krupp. Today, contending with plants and animals introduced from other parts of the world that can cause real problems. Like in some inland lakes, invasive plants grow so thick, motorboats get stuck, and you can't fish or swim. There's a way to keep these invaders at bay that's just starting to get traction in Michigan. And it's a little goofy. There's a a boat equipped with a kind of a vacuum system. Only a handful of people are doing this work in the state. And right now, business is booming. I just kind of blew up where now we're, we're going as far as New Jersey working. That's today on Points North. Mike Smith spent most of his career as a diver with the Detroit police. His jurisdiction was the rivers snaking through the city, where divers usually can't see anything underwater. He recovered cars, guns, sometimes bodies. He wasn't always chasing evidence from a crime scene. One time, his team pulled up a 19th century cannon. Best bet is the War of 1812. And then there was this buried statue. We got it out. It's bronze. I'm like, holy smokes, this is, this might be something serious. Turned out it was pretty serious. Found out it was stolen like two or three years earlier from the war memorial, and it was worth like a million dollars and everything. So that was some great, great stories from back in the day, and all that led me to pulling weeds underwater. Now Mike describes his work as glorified gardening. Boaters passing by will often ask what he's up to. One we get most comments, you, are you looking for gold? No, just pulling weeds. But it's more than weeding. He's got a boat with a powerful vacuum. On a sunny day in August, he was working at Higgins Lake, outside of Grayling, on a contract with Michigan's Department of Natural Resources. This whole thing started when he retired from the police department. He was working some odd jobs. I tried building. I was awful at that. He ended up in real estate. One day, he was talking with a guy about this technique to get rid of invasive plants underwater. So long story short, I ended up working at my local lake. I told him at the real estate place, I said, I'll be back in 10 days. That was two years ago. And this guy just kind of blew up. Because a lot of people are fighting invasive plants in lakes, often with chemical treatment. This can be really effective. A lot of these herbicides are programmed to only wipe out the bad guys. But chemical treatment, it doesn't always work. Like for one invasive, Eurasian water milfoil, It's a long, ropey plant that can grow in a thick mat on the surface. You know, you're not going to try and swim through that or fish in it or anything. That's Joe Lattimore, an aquatic ecologist at Michigan State University. She says usually herbicides will stamp out an invasion. But when this species breeds with a native variety, it forms a hybrid. And then chemicals might not do the job. We have seen cases where, you know, lakes thought that they were dealing with a a pure Eurasian milfoil infestation, applied the herbicide that is prescribed for Eurasian milfoil, and it didn't work. And, you know, that's an expensive proposition um, to then find that it it failed. There's another invasive she's worried about called starry stonewort. It's technically an algae. It has these tiny white stars, like little sequins, buried in a coarse green mat. And it's another one that um, herbicide treatments are only kind of effective against. You can get beds of it that are many feet thick. And if you try and apply the algicide to it, it kills the top, but doesn't sink down into the bed like it should. 
The most effective chemical to treat this stuff is copper, which has another issue. Copper can be very toxic, and so it's something they have to handle very, very carefully when applying it to lakes and so forth. A lot of people would rather avoid chemicals like this altogether, which brings us back to Mike's operation. It's for lakes that you know don't want to introduce chemicals into their ecosystem. So that's what we're here for. Here's how it works. Mike drives out on his boat, the one outfitted with the vacuum tube, with two assistants. In this case, his 15-year-old son and a college student. I'm trying Before he can get to the weeding, he has to set up big curtains in the water, surrounding an area about the size of a basketball court. That way, any stray plant bits don't drift to a different spot in the lake. And those curtains can be pretty unwieldy. It's generally kind of a goat rodeo. It took almost an hour to set up. But once the curtains are ready, the show begins. A diver gets into the water. In this case, it's Mike's son, Trenton. He's wearing a headset and his mask so they can talk to each other. This is all the same stuff we pretty much use in uh, Detroit Police. Then the vacuum gets going. It's loud. Once Trenton starts uprooting plants, the water gets cloudy. Soon, it's impossible to see through. Trenton has to feel his way along in the muck. You kind of try to know where it is before you go in so that you can find it better. And then you got the person up on the boat trying to tell you where they think the patch is. Now, this isn't going to work if an infestation covers acres. But for patches just beginning to take hold, Mike might be able to keep them at bay. And he knows he'll have to return. His weeding won't get rid of these plants for good. Here, it, it, you'll, you'll always have to probably do something. With most lakes, you will, because almost all lakes have some kind of boat traffic that'll bring it in, or, or ducks will bring it in. Mike will be diving in lakes across the state until November. Then he'll be back in the spring. He thinks with a second boat and a bigger crew. You're listening to Points North. In our field guide today, if you visited a vineyard recently, you might have heard some strange sounds coming from the fields. That's because winemakers are on the lookout for starlings, birds from Europe set loose in New York Central Park in the 19th century. Starlings can sense bad weather ahead. If they have to wait out a storm, they could land at a vineyard, where they'll happily fatten up on grapes. Catherine Lindell, an ornithologist at Michigan State University, says these birds migrate in large numbers. They're in big flocks, and that helps them be more efficient, you know, in scaring off the other birds. To scare off the starlings, growers will blast audio recordings through the vines. That's the attack cry of a red-tailed hawk. Vineyards also play starling distress calls. Eventually, though, starlings will likely become habituated to the sounds. That's one reason so many vines are wrapped in nets. That's it for this week. This episode was produced by me, Lexi Krupp, Peter Payette, and Larry Mobby. Thanks to Blue Dot Sessions for music from Mole Rider. You can catch the show on IPR News, Fridays during Morning Edition, or search for Points North wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy the weekend.